Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Susan Walsh. I'm the fixer of Dirty Data and I'm delighted to be your host on this podcast. I'm the founder and MD of The Classification Guru, a specialist data classification, taxonomy, customization and data cleaning consultancy. In this episode of the EM360 podcast, I'm speaking to Sam Russo, Practice Director of Automotive and Heavy Duty at Pivotry, and we'll be discussing the art of perfecting product data at scale and speed. Hi, Sam. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Can you believe we actually met in person just a couple of weeks ago? I know, I can't believe it. Who would have known? It's like very serendipitous. It's I can't wait to have a chat with you about this. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your role, which is very long and big, and um, and a little bit about Pivotry. Yeah, so I'm Sam Russo. I am the Practice Director of Automotive and Heavy Duty here at Pivotry. I have maintained or gotten this role because I have 17 years in automotive industry. I have seven years in automotive data. Specifically, I have worked for two major retailers here in North America. I've worked for a manufacturer as well. And I have also worked for a global third-party data solution for major motor oil, which has all led me up to this position. Uh, I also hold a current role as a committee member on the Technology Standards Committee, which is the Auto Care Association's industry standard for data exchange, which is ACEs and PIEs. So all of that rounded up leads me over to Pivotry to help Pivotry lead the way in uplifting the entire digital landscape of automotive and heavy duty. Pivotry, more so I look at what I say Pivotry is, Pivotry is aimed to be a strategic partner in this industry with experts in data management, supply chain, and commerce. Those are all the things that this industry needs to ensure we get the right part to the right place at the right time. Amazing. And I can't think of a better person to be speaking to right now. Um, Well, I already know that because we have spoken about lots of dirty data in the past. um, And that's something that we're going to talk about today and and how we can help twist that round into better data. Maybe not perfect. Um, Tell us a little bit about um, dirty data and what you might see in your industry. So one thing when you refer to dirty data, like you and I, Susan, we we are used to those words and other people I've seen when I say, like, say the sucky words of saying your data sucks, they get defensive. So dirty data is any data that's unstructured, unclean, not something that's headless or that you can take action or insight on. So in our world, we ideally have this idealistic nirvana aspect of what perfect data is. And perfect data is like information that is completely free of errors inconsistencies, inaccuracies. It's a perfect data set. Every data point is accurate, reliable, complete. There's no missing values or outliers. It is an idealized concept. And it's something that we both advocate to achieve because it's very rarely achieved. Um, And it's funny because it's so important where technological advances are going. In the automotive space, I've spoken on this, is we're fragmented in this industry. And when I say fragmented, it's we scale from small players that are still managing their data in Excel, which is perfectly fine. Like they have, you know, a very small SKU count. They don't need to do the investment in a big PIM or an MDM. And then you have like the really, really big heavy players that are like going through those digital transformations. They're building the microservices. They have the MDM. They're implementing data governance. They're striving for that on-demand real-time data integration. And when you come from like a retailer standpoint or a receiver, 
you have to be able to scale to both. And so that's a challenge here is being able to scale to the tiny guys and scale to the big guys. Um, also within heavy duty, heavy duty is kind of looking at it like I can't even get the data that I need. So that goes back to if you can't get the data, the data's not there, or you have the big guys, there's too much data. The challenge that we see is, okay, how do we make this data seem like it's perfect and enhance this data to give the consumers what they want, which is a, a robust, trustworthy data set for them to feel reliable in what they're buying? Do you think we are um, giving people false hope by talking about perfect data? Because you and I both talk about, you know, the importance of clean data, but at what point do we need to not not talk about perfect data and talk about perhaps fit for purpose? I think I think perfect data is the vision. And like any organization or any team or anybody you're working for, you should always have a vision, like whether it's a vision board or whatever. We may never achieve perfect data um, just because at some point there's always going to be human element of it and humans aren't perfect. Like ma majority of the issues that we see in data is usually induced by a human, right? Um, so I think it's a vision that you strive for and then you bring it back down a couple levels for your team to be like, okay, here's what reality is and here's how we strive to climb that mountain towards perfect. And that may not be perfect across the board, but here's the minimum that we need to get good data and create that, that really consumer excellence mindset of getting the data that the consumer needs. Sounds great. I wanted to ask you, you talked about the difference between the, the smaller businesses and the larger businesses. Do they have shared common problems or do you find that they have different issues depending on the size? I think some of the core problems, it doesn't matter whether your data set is large or small, it's a core problem. Um, when I talk to clients and we talk, we pivot here at Pivotry, we talk to a various size of scale. Like you can have your Smaller guys that are still working from Excel, and then you have like the really big players that are like multi-billion dollars that obviously have the PIM in place. And they all seem to have like the same challenges. Like when I talk to them, it's funny because like people ask me like, what are the challenges here? Whether it's automotive aftermarket or whether it's heavy duty, whether it's a major retailer or whether it's a small manufacturer, all of them are just like having data challenges. And they're like, I, I need I need either more data. I need my data to be more structured. I need governance. I need enablement around my data. And it's really nice for people like us because like all of a sudden people are looking at data because data is like the hardest thing to sell to any executive leadership to be like, hey, can we invest money in data? Because then they're going to be like, well, what's the return on investment on that? I need to see the return on investment. And most of the time when you're investing in data practices like governance and MDM, um, reporting and analytics, those are all things that you don't see instant gratification on. It's a, it's a process that you see, like if you looked at a bell curve or you looked at a, a Gantt chart over time, you'll see it increasing sales. Now you can tra track certain things. Like if you do like an initiative on one part product set or something like that, and you just throw all your resources at it and say, let's do a proof of concept. I guarantee you, you'll see a spike in sales. You either have a higher customer retention, less return rates, and you'll have less frustrated customers on the end when they're clicking around and you'll see the click rate go down because they found the right product that they needed. Great. You've mentioned PIM a couple of times, just in case anyone's listening who doesn't know what a PIM is. Could you explain that for us? So a PIM is a product information management system. So that's a software solution that uh, software providers, there's multiple of them, that provide to help you manage your product data in a more 
let's say, more structured and managed way than maybe Excel could do for you. Yeah, less chance to go rogue with the descriptions and the units of measure, etc. Yeah, they let, allows you to implement data governance and workflows and all that. Great. And when we talk about aiming for perfect data, within automotive, what does that look like? I think within automotive, it's always uh, perfect is always in the eye of the beholder. So it depends on who you're talking to, right? I've had people say perfect data is just the minimum data that I need to sell the part, right? Um, and then I have people that go with the the vision of, I want all the data and all the elements of the data that I need to sell the part as if there was no picture of it. So those are two vastly different. One's going to take a lot of data and one's going to take very little. And somewhere in there, there is like actually like an ideal state. Because if you go to the one, the, the mindset of, because I've worked for both. Um, if you go with the mindset of, I want to collect every data point as if you there's no picture and I can sell it and the customer doesn't ever have to have a, ask a question, then you go into your, your pulling in tons of data. It's a lot of data. And what I see and what I say is sometimes quantity doesn't mean quality, whereas maybe you need to look at what are the actual data elements of the product or for the customer that are actually meaningful and insightful. Because Susan, that, that leads a lot of these industries are looking at like dark data where it's just they've just been co collecting all this data and they collect it. I'm sure they have the best intentions and then it just sits there, expires, yeah. it dies. And then you wonder why you have no space on your server. And it's like, well, you have all these files that you don't use. And you're like, I don't even know what those are for. <laughs> yeah. Um, and do you find that we, we've been cleaning a lot of um, kind of MRO data, maintenance, repair and ops data, which is similar to the automotive space. And we're finding things like vague and generic descriptions, um, missing units of measure, the wrong units of measure, the wrong codes. Is that something that you find is quite common within within the automotive space as well? Yeah, what I find, so I have two different viewpoints because I worked for a manufacturer, which is like a supplier, and then I also worked for a retailer. So I seem to see both sides of it. So from a supplier standpoint, they're frustrated. They have this data. They maintain it in their system. Obviously, you know, like any other proud uh, manufacturer, they they are the, the SMEs of that data. So how they have that data is how they think they should have that data and how it should be presented. But then from a manufacturer standpoint or a data manager at a manufacturer, for you to get in and get your data and your products into all these different receivers, marketplaces, and retailers they all have various elements of what they feel is necessary to sell products to their customers. So they all take them in slightly different formats. So what happens is you're manually having to maintain that. So it's a, as a human, you're manually having to do the transformations to try and get your products into these retailers and receivers. So as humans, you can either drop elements, fat finger something, something gets transformed or something gets incorrect. And if you don't have the right monitoring or alerting into your data or the right data governance practices in place, or even data auditing, it's stuff's going to get missed. It's going to be expired. It's going to get missed. Something's going to get duplicated by accident. I've seen it. And in our industry, it's not only unit of measure that is like a, an issue. Obviously, unit of measure can impact supply chain for real. Um, but it's we have a unique thing to our industry, which is fitment data, or you can say it's compatibility data, right? Where certain products cert fit certain vehicles based off their year make model fitment. Uh, and so, if you get that wrong, or if it's not right, that's where you start treading a fine line of either the the really bad part of 
blowing up an engine because you got the wrong data published. And by the time you figure it out, it's already gone on 50 cars or you've, it's not that big a deal and you catch it early. And what you end up doing is you lose trust from a customer and gaining that trust back is the hardest thing. Yeah, uh, that leads nicely into my next question, which is what what are some of the consequences when this data is not good enough and, and there there is missing information or incorrect information? Um, that's a great example there about the parts, but what other examples could you give us? So like another one is uh, not only some people don't think about this, but like when you have dirty data or like data debt, it's actually costing you more from an IT side infrastructure to manage that data because whether it's through manually or whether it's through all these band-aids that we've built to clean the data and basically, um, yeah, it's just like a band-aid to manage that data and to overcompensate for dirty data and not just bog down and clean it. That's an added cost. If you put in the investment up front to clean your data, get it standardized, get it into a PIM, get it into something that's like meaningful and actually maintain it like it's a living organism, it'll end up costing you less in the, the end game. But from a consumer standpoint, we're all driven by consumers. This whole industry, uh, we got dubbed during 2020, we got dubbed as a necessary industry and we are a necessary industry. We are a 130 year old industry. We have lived through wars, pandemics, depressions, and we are here to stay. And the automotive industry is nothing but resilient. But with this growing customer demand, it's changing. So we've lived off of paper catalogs, and that worked for decades for us. But the one thing that this past couple of years has shown us is not only the supply chain issues, but the growing demand of shopping online. Majority of the workforce nowadays is millennials. And we all like to function from our tablets and our phones. So the data that worked on paper or could be organized by a printer doesn't work online. And if the data is wrong, majority of the time you don't realize the data is wrong or inaccurate until you have an aggravated customer or an aggravated business or an aggravated industry. And right now, I think what we have is something in the middle of an aggravated industry, but also a proactive industry that wants to solve the problem. And how does technology play in? improving that in the future in terms of quality of data etc there, there's so much talk about ai ml <clears throat> gen ai how is that impacting or enhancing uh, what you're what you're seeing in in the space i think you said it right there is how can ai and ml be leveraged as a tool set or as a resource to enhance and enable this industry ai and ml it's you know it's the new Big data. Big data was the the word in the boardroom 10 years ago, right? And now we're suffering the consequences of it where we just went out and we're like, all right, we're just going to gather all the data we can. Um, and now some of us are looking at, so let's, let's look at the big guys. So some of us are looking at, we've got all this dark data and this dirty data where we just went out with the best intentions and collected all this data we could. Uh, and, and now how do I standardize that? How do I clean it up? I've got frustrated customers that are saying that the data is either incorrect they're seeing five different forms of 5W30, and they're just frustrated. A lot of these major retailers are like, oh, well, we've already figured that out. But what they're saying is they figured it out because they've written all this heavy code as a preprocessor to clean it up on inbound. In my world, that's not cleaning it up. That's just a Band-Aid. Uh, yeah. Cleaning it up, if you leverage AI, and this is just basic AI. It's not even the fancy generative AI. These AI models, like you can use machine learning, whether it's in Python or whatever, to feed your big data set through this and put some standardization in it and have it spit it out clean. 
something that would have taken me months to do for a for a customer can you can do it in probably a week once you like put in the factor in the building of the model and feeding the data in there and then essentially it's like kind of like what i tell people is if you hire a home organizer to come into your house yes you hire that home organizer to come into your house because you don't know how to organize it and it's overwhelming yeah you're looking at a mountain of data debt and so this home organizer which is ai in this instance is going to come into your house it's going to organize things it's going to suggest some stuff for you as well uh and then it's going to it's going to put you in a better state that you can start to manage it it's not data is a living thing in my opinion and it has to be maintained you can't it's not a project it's a product and a platform and so AI can be used to do those basic things. It can also be leveraged to do auto classification. So a lot of times when you're onboarding a product, you're saying what that product is so that it can be classified into an internal hierarchy and then also classified into an external hierarchy, which is your retail hierarchy. And AI can be used to automate that. And also what I'm seeing and what I'm leveraging here at PivotTree is looking at data the same way that we look at supply chain and creating that dashboard-like experience to where you can look at your data uh, through like a logistics dashboard that's like a control tower to where it gives you that alerting and monitoring. Yeah, I have actually experienced this where you don't realize that you had a, a giant drop in data until the field is telling you that, hey, all of a sudden we've dropped 4 million vehicle records. And so this type of having that kind of mindset over your data, the same way you look at like supply chain and logistics can really help you enable the, any organization to really see that data before it's a problem and be reactive rather than, or be proactive really, rather than reactive when there's a problem. The other one that you mentioned was like generative AI. So I'm gonna touch on that because I know everybody wants to know about generative AI. Generative, generative AI has taken off um, this year since like what, February is when ChatGPT pub, uh, went public. It's, it's a great tool and some of the, it's a great tool with great power, but with great power comes great responsibility. So you have to, <laughs> yeah. use, to use it responsibly, especially in the automotive world, because what we're seeing and some of the players in this space are already doing stuff with AIs. We really need like an automotive specific large language model in this space. Yeah. Because some of the things we do with fitment, engines, um, uh, specs on an engine, those are all unique things to us that if you could literally plug in some of these technicians that have been in the industry for 50 years and then have it spit back what it should be, then it'd probably be accurate. But where you can use generative AI is uh, for like data fill. It can predict where data could be filled possibly. It can enhance your marketing text to make it really fancy for all the SEO and make it really eye-catching. Uh, where I'm also seeing is that you take like the product data attributes and it can build uh, fancy SEO titles for you Things that would have taken me a month to do, I've watched somebody do it within seconds. Uh, it takes all the attributes, makes a fancy, fancy title, and then it even gives like a year range of fitment on the end of it. This is where I'm really seeing generative AI. It's also for like giving that personalized uh, experience for the customer to really create that omni-channel presence of give, making them feel more personalized in the responses that are auto-generated. I mean, it sounds like you are helping your customers in so many amazing ways and they're really benefiting from from your expertise and, and knowledge. I mean, I'm really trying. I, I <laughs> the one thing about me is, and um, unique, I guess, about me is I, I'll embrace that, that it's unique about me is I've got it from, I live and breathe automotive and heavy duty, not only in my career, but in my personal life. So like my husband owns a, a speed shop here in Roswell. So I've been an enthusiast for a long time. 
I know what the guys at the counters are complaining about. I know what the technicians are complaining about. But then also I've lived on the data side of these major retailers and manufacturers. So I know where the data is coming from. And some of the limitations there as well, where it's almost like I, I have a full circle lens of experience. And to me, this industry is really going to any organization or company in this industry. It's not so much anymore who can give the cheapest price. It's really coming down to who can give the best customer experience and give me that personalized touch. And also who can get it to me the fastest is where it's coming down to. I reckon that's you. <laughs> Um, so if someone is listening to this and they're thinking our business really needs to do this, what how, what's the best way to get started? I mean, I think like any issue, the good thing is to look in the mirror and say, I think I need to do this. And, uh, you know, acknowledging the fact that you may have a data problem and being OK saying that. I see so many people get defensive when you're like, hey, it might be a data problem. And they're just like, well, we're not going to really invest in the data platform right now. We're really going to invest in all our supply chain issues. And so you have to go through that like full circle where you're like, all right, well, I'll be here when you realize your supply chain issues are actually stemming from your core data, data. foundational data yeah. issues. But I think the first yeah. step is recognizing that you may have a data problem and then also asking for help. So like here at Pivotry, I mean, I sound smart, um, but I can tell you right now, the people behind me are even like smarter than I am. And so like we have like taxonomists, uh, people that are really dedicated to data governance. We've also got supply chain professionals, e-commerce. So these guys, like they really like one meeting with anybody, they can really come in just like a sample data set. You can pass it off to them and they'll give you all this insight that you may not have looked at because you've had such a like investment, so close perception at this data, but they could tell you like, here's all the things that you could do with this. You could do a fancy PIM. Just recommending a fancy PIM isn't going to solve your data issues. I'll tell you that right now. Uh, your data's got to be ready to move into that new house. So that's where you've got to start. That's fantastic advice. Uh, before we wrap up, any any other advice that you'd give to anyone listening who's who's struggling with their, their data right now, apart from give you a call? <laughs> the biggest one I tell people is usually when I hear the data issues and it's from the bigs and the smalls is, I always make sure to tell them like, you're not the only one. That is so um, true. Sometimes people feel like they feel overwhelmed. They feel like it's just their company. I don't understand why we're not up to date, blah, blah, blah. I'm telling you right now, even the biggest guy, the biggest player has some of the same data problems. They're ju they just may be covering it up better than you are. It's fantastic. I, I sit in a lot of events and as soon as one person starts opening up about their data problems, everyone around them does <laughs> as well. Like group and then they find out that everyone has the same problems and they're not alone. They all have the same problems. There's a, especially in this industry, it's a lot of siloed data. There's this industry is big about acquisitions. I don't know about any other industry that's maybe doing that, but we like to acquire people to become bigger. Um, and then also we have a lot of siloed data where we also like to stay in our silos head down, especially when you have acquisitions. And that leads to also, we have legacy platforms that maybe we just need to take the time to disconnect and sunset those legacy platforms to really give some insight rather than being reactive. Let's be proactive. Oh, just, just amazing advice there. Thank you so much, Sam, for joining us today. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. Also, thanks to everyone listening. Uh, we hope that you took a lot away from today's podcast. I certainly did. And for further information on what we've talked about, then please head on over to pivotry.com. 
We'll be back next week with another episode in our podcast series. But until then, make sure you subscribe to this podcast on all major platforms. Follow the conversation on our socials at EM360Tech or on Twitter and LinkedIn. And for more great daily content, head over to EM360.com.